Welcome to Generation, the podcast from a Generation X point of view, brought to you by Twisted Little Gnome Studios. Join us as we discuss everything from the mundane to the insane with your hosts, Jeff, Russ, and Snapper. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Generation, the show about Generation X and its viewpoints. It's the generation you never hear from. We're changing that. How are you doing, guys? Hey, doing pretty good. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Excellent. So I know it's been... Sorry, I just totally talked on you, man. (laughs) That's all right. You you can talk all over me if you want. Yeah, he's easy that way. So a yeah, uh, yeah. lot's been going on, uh, although I'm sure our routines haven't really changed all that much since the last time we talked. I'm assuming everyone is uh, still practicing social distancing. Yes. Even when I went out today, I went out today and uh, I social distanced the hell out of it. And you said against your will, Russ? Yes. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it's very frustrating, but also weird. I, it's almost like a controlled experiment in a pandemic. So it's not like the ones we've seen in the movies where there are dead bodies everywhere or potentially zombies. It, it, it's almost like this controlled slow burn, like like a, a volcano has erupted, but the lava is moving really slow and you just kind of have to watch it. But uh, I don't know. I, it, somebody put it this way. Uh, on Twitter that said that with the coronavirus, lots of little tyrants are popping up all over the country and in some other countries too. But uh, in the way that the the response to the coronavirus is, like in Michigan um, and Vermont, they've prevented you from buying certain items in stores that are already open, like gardening supplies and and, uh, um, seeds and stuff if you want to plant a garden, which is kind of weird. But uh, I think in Michigan, they were also preventing you from buying child seats. And I think that the, I can't remember, somebody had to intervene. Uh, Oh, no, it was Walmart said that we're definitely going to allow people to buy it regardless of whatever the the, uh, governor of Michigan said. And then you've got uh, people in like California, they're being uh, ticketed for being in a park by themselves or running on the beach. And I don't know, it's not, they're not, they're not super cracking down like that around here. I don't know what it's like down in uh, Atlanta. I'm assuming it's not that bad. No, um, at least when I went out, I've been out once a week for pretty much every week. And I've gone to the grocery store. I go on Saturday mornings right when they first open, primarily because Somehow or another, I got behind on toilet paper and it, like I went and I got some toilet paper. But the, the the you know, the weekend snapper when we were discussing, hey, you think we should go out and get stuff? And this would have been like the first weekend in March. I went to Sam's and I got a bunch of stuff, but then thought, oh, man, I got crap tons of toilet paper. I don't need to get any of that. Didn't even think about people freaking out about toilet paper. But um, that's the only reason I've gone out. I've just gotten like milk and egg and cheese. And then I just I just go back home. I, I don't I don't want it's not that I'm worried about being out. I'm really worried about I'm worried about I don't want to be the reason that it gets passed on to anybody else. So that's it's easy if I think about it in terms of that rather than in terms of feeling like I'm being controlled. But but, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to look actively for a job, uh, which I can't seem to do right now because everybody's freaking out. So go ahead. I think uh, because of uh, federalism, every state uh, is kind of doing it, uh, doing it differently, doing things on their own. Some governors um, possibly are kind of um, bumping up uh, to the you know the maximum level of their ability. You know they're like they're all they're barely holding on. Some governors are really really good. They're administrators. This is kind of what they live for. Other governors are too petrified to do anything that um, that will go against dear leader. And uh, so, you know, here uh, where we are, our governor, um, 
I'm not going to criticize them too much. Uh, there are plenty of criticism to be had for him. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, we've only had a little over 30,000 tests in the whole state. So you can't, you can't base uh, a metric on that uh, success or no. So um, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. But uh, um, I think uh, as far as the, the little tyrants popping up, yeah, they, this is this is new. This is totally new. They they uh, and the I've seen I've seen cops ticket people uh, and threaten to arrest them that were married. You know that they were out together and uh, and you know the cops come up and and tell them uh, to step apart. Like we're married. We 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 went out for a walk. And they're like, no, you got to social distance. <laughs> no, we're going to ticket you. Not for you know, quarantine, like, mate. No. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that's that's ludicrous. But you know, these these two young cops that uh, have a a duty, and it doesn't really occur to them that uh, you know discretion you need to use if you got two people that are married <laughs> and are quarantined together. Right. That uh, they shouldn't, you you should not ticket them, and you certainly shouldn't be a dick about it. And you know, we got stories of that, lots of stories of just, you know, I mean, but that's an age old story. You know, cops are going to cop, you know. Um, but I think for the most part, I think here in here uh, where we live here in Atlanta, I haven't heard of many incidents. No, people are just. Um because we're a big tech city, a lot of the people are actually able to work from home, and they are they're doing that. You've got the working class, which are suffering. I know uh, my son has gone from you know almost thirty hours a week down to eight hours a week, and even that is probably stretching it. But I'm, I'm grateful for what they're doing to help them string along. But I don't think any overreaches. How about you, Russ? Um, yeah, I'm still working from home. They've. Uh... They had to lay off a couple people from my uh, from my group, mm. furloughed, not laid off, right, furloughed. Right. So they're still going to pay their, as far as I know, they're still going to pay their um, benefits, and then they'll get 100% compensation from the government, I think, isn't it? What, for four months they're going to pay yes, 100% of salary? And I think what you'll find is unemployment, you'll get whatever the state offers you. And then on top of that, you'll get four months of the $600 a month. So, for example, I think North Carolina actually pays more because uh, my mother was talking about it. And I said, well, Georgia doesn't pay you anywhere near that. It's like 350 bucks a week. So that $600 is a lot more than that. But I'll, I'll guarantee you it's, it will not maintain um, a family that made no. considerably more. But for someone who makes... Uh, you know, like someone in my son's position, that would actually be a lot of money. He's still frustrated right. because he's not going to get the uh, he's not going to get the stimulus check because he's uh, a dependent on our taxes Man. for those years. Too so, bad, so sad. Yeah, as I told him, I went. I promise it'll go into the milk and the cheese you eat. How about that? Right. <laughs> I did. I posed. I I thought about this and I posed this question on my Facebook feed. I was like, if you compare the deaths that have already occurred this year with the, all of the deaths that happened during the same period in previous years, would the number be up or down because there's so few people on the road? Excellent point. And it turns out that we're probably, that, that uh, car fatalities are have plummeted. And so they're probably, they contribute to many, many, many deaths. It's well, probably that we're, we're, there's less, less deaths from this COVID outbreak than there would be otherwise. Well, and that's going to lead us into one of our big topics for the day. So we don't want to get ahead of it as what will life be oh, post. Okay. But uh, that does remind me, I got an email from my insurance provider saying, hey, guess what? We're going to refund 15% of your last two premiums to you because you haven't been driving as much. And we and 
what they're not saying is an insurance company works through their actuary tables. And those are the tables of risk that they have assessed for your particular area, your type of car, your age and demographic. And they've realized with all the people staying home, that actually changes the actuary tables. And I think they have a fiduciary responsibility to have their rates reflect their actuary tables. And if they change, this is the easiest way. But as uh, my son said, yeah, well, it does make them look good, too. And I went, exactly. It's a PR move on their part to get ahead of it and say, we're giving you some of your money back. before." And they're you... probably getting a bunch of money from the government anyway with the, mm, uh, the stimulus package. That's a good point. That's a good point. All righty. Well, it sounds like we are all in very similar situations, which is going to lead us into our main, well, our first uh, light topic tonight is life post-COVID-19. So thinking about life post-COVID-19, and I know, uh, well, you know, Snapper, this was your topic. Why don't you lead us on what you meant by that? Uh, Life post-COVID-19, basically... um, what are some of the things that uh, are going to change and uh, re- in relationship to um, uh, having to adjust our uh, daily habits, uh, shopping habits, things, uh, how we interact with each other because of COVID-19. Now, um, I, I personally believe uh, we're, we're definitely not out of the woods yet. We're, we've got a we've got to finish this one peak and then I think we're going to have another um, uh, wave just because of the, the way pandemics and infections happen. And because this is a, a worldwide phenomenon, it's a, it's affecting a lot of people. I think that um, we are going to find some natural adjustments to our, our habits, for instance, um, buffets. Are buffets going to fall out of fashion because people will go, oh, shit, those are nasty. We should not do buffets. Um, it turns out, you know, not many companies do buffets. Uh, Golden Corral is one because they're successful, but there's a large uh, home buffet uh you know the west coast chain and and they're not doing well at all uh bankrupting and that kind of thing there is uh already a trend but there's still plenty of restaurants that have buffets whole foods uh, is wonderful those are yeah the the ones that are in grocery stores exactly People are going to, you know, reevaluate that and go, yeah, let's, um, let's, yeah, let's, let's possibly not do that. I'm gonna, uh, so I think a lot of a lot of uh, stores, a lot of restaurants are going to find uh, ways to kind of blend that into a different <laughs> delivery model, you know. Uh, which is Golden Corral can still offer their their all you can eat. They'll just have other people. Serve you know, give, yeah. give it to you exactly. Which is, I don't know what Whole Foods can do. Well, I mean, think about all of the fast food restaurants, which have slowly been moving tasks from behind the counter to the customer side. Whether it's getting your drinks, getting your own condiments, getting your own utensils, um, and in a lot of ways that. That way they don't have to employ people behind the counter. Bill Burr's got a routine about it. You know, I gave you 100% of the money. You give me 100% of the product. Uh, If you're paying me to do some of this stuff, I shouldn't be paying as much. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think a lot of those tasks are going to move back behind the counter because otherwise people won't eat at your restaurant if they feel that anybody could have been touching that food. Exactly. I think we're going to see some changes. Um... Socially, especially as far as how we interact with each other, uh, shaking hands, I think, is going to uh, take a little you break. Really, you think so? You think we'll, I mean, just, I just mean obviously right break. now, yeah. What about you, uh, Ross? Why? Do you think we'll stop shaking hands? I hope not. Uh, there, there. You know, I think of shaking hands as showing trust and also sharing something. And, and I do worry about an overreaction because I think back at uh, uh, 
maybe y'all are aware of this, that the reason that we have the rise in peanut allergies is because we stopped feeding peanuts to ki- young kids and they don't develop an antibody for it or resist. I can't remember. There's something in the peanut yeah. that can cause an allergic reaction. And the reason they are, it's growing is because we're giving less peanuts to kids and we're, we're and, and, when you have an overreaction like that, when you start sterilizing everything, overusing hand sanitizers, and that's the reason they got rid of uh, antibacterial soap, is when you do that, you're actually creating a negative effect in the way that you're the the more you remove yourself from bacteria and infectious diseases or whatever, you're actually making your body more susceptible to it because it's right. not exercising your immune system. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I, I've washed my hands a lot right now, but normally if I use the bathroom and you know, if I'm just going for a piss or something, I'll rinse my hands with water. I don't use soap. I try to stay away from antibacterial soap. Um, mostly cause it dries out my, my hands like crazy. <laughs> But I, I have a pretty healthy immune system, and I want to keep it exercised. So I, I'm not a germaphobe at all, and I'm really worried that we're going to have a, you know, we're going to overreact, and it's going to cause it's the law of unintended consequences. You know, you think you're doing something good, but you're actually doing something worse. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't plan on stopping shaking hands i'm not going to shy away from it i mean i will understand if other people do i won't be offended but i don't i i think there's me and a lot of other people are are more than willing to like continue that i think i think um a form of greeting could easily uh come out of this whether it be elbow bump fist bump a nod. Well, obviously, you've got the Asian way. Uh, a lot of just you know, With a bow. sort of a a, di- a bit, a little maybe a little a mini bow. I mean, we don't want to go full, you know, samurai or anything like that. But uh, that's racist. Uh, but you can't me- <laughs> you can't measure a man with a fist bump. You do it with a firm handshake. That's true, but uh, if that if that handshake is going to put me on a ventilator, screw them. I'm fist bumping. Uh, handshakes, <laughs> handshakes are used by people who can't get their points across with personality. No, but I understand if you can you set a tone through a strong no, grip. Nothing yeah. worse than a limp wristed handshake. I yeah, mean, you don't want to like, be limp. Ew. You do it. You, you <laughs> want to be confident. Yeah. Yes. When when I get a handshake like that, I immediately want to wash my hands. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what have you touched with that soft hand? Right. Right. Uh, I think I I can easily see culturally different forms of uh, you know meeting and greeting can evolve from something like this. I don't think it'll happen. Uh, I mean, something like that takes a while and something truly like uh, traumatic or whatever can can force people. In addition, you know, some of the things that I think are going to happen, which is uh, I think we're going to and this and this would be because of a financial free market kind of stuff. Um, The value of online education is going to skyrocket. Whereas before, people were like, oh, yeah, you know, online college, you know, if that's all you can handle right now, that's good, I guess. Uh, People are going to accept it a lot more. Um, I think the, uh, uh, what else am I thinking of? The, The social aspect, the Internet pretty much was born for times like this. Uh, I do want to at least jump in about the college thing. We may have mentioned it last time, but uh, it didn't affect us because our son is already graduated, but you know, just a year out. For people who are graduating right now, it isn't just that they're missing out on their graduation ceremonies or anything like that. Some of them are missing out on taking the SAT. Some of them are missing out on even whole grades. There are people that we're in the middle of comebacks that don't get to complete. So what it really does is it, I mean, the 2020 is going to be the year that didn't happen. So from an academic standpoint, there are going to be a lot of people that 
do we just go ahead and let them go to college and then let them pass or fail of their own uh, merit at that point? Do we give everybody passing grades? Do we, I mean, because for someone who doesn't have the grades to get into college, one semester's worth of passing grade isn't going to make, isn't going to elevate them. So you don't have to worry about it being abused. But when everybody suddenly has an A, there, you know, how do you rank people? And, and should you? Or do you just everybody wipe their brow, go to college and not worry about how we all got here and just see who can survive? I don't know. Those are just open questions. Oh, oh. But, yeah. uh, but you're right. Also, uh, it really depends on if there's a resurgence in the fall. If there's a resurgence, because I think we'll relax the more is throughout the summer uh, as cases go on the decline. And we'll all just kind of looking over our shoulder. Are, are we past it? Are we done? Is it, is it still behind us? And if it comes back in the fall, uh, I, I think that, that, will, that will cement some of those habits that we got lax on after the fact. One thing I think is going to happen, and you see it now, which is we used to look at the Asian culture as, isn't that sweet? They'll all, they wear a mask when they are sick, <laughs> when they go out in public. And that's always been the thing that in, in, in Asian countries, if someone was wearing a mask, it was because they were sick and they were being polite and they didn't want to cough on you. I think that's going to become the norm here is uh, an acceptance that if someone's wearing a mask, it's because, you know, whatever, except we're America. So it'll be, you know, like Spider-Man masks and, you know, uh, camo, yeah, yeah. yeah it, camo, of course, of course, there's camo uh, Confederate if you're in the South. So, yeah, uh, I think that I think we can look for that. And other little things, you you don't you don't have something this big happen to a country without there being some change, whether it be just purely financial on what becomes popular. You know, all, all of a sudden, uh, telecommuting becomes uh, the new normal for people, not because we're afraid, but because a lot of companies discovered, wow. I can really cut expenses <laughs> if I just have everyone telecommute. It, it's a forced Why do I need to? Yeah. It's a forced experiment, yeah. Yes, exactly. It is a forced experiment. We, You know, here in Atlanta, like you said, we have a lot of tech companies. And uh, we don't need to physically be present. I like to be physically present because, you know, the person who shows up is the person that gets noticed. <laughs> Well, Russ, what about you? Um, I mean, how do you think this will impact your work area? Well, I, uh, in my job capacity, I have the option of if I need to, I can I can work from home, and I had done it a few times. Like if I was sick, or I had to, like Lillian was sick and couldn't go to school, and and uh, Kristen wasn't available. You know, I could do it that way, but uh, I, I've Definitely, as I've done it, like for four weeks now, and I have a, a, a kind of a semi-permanent setup, I've become, you know, more um, productive. I, I'd, I'd be interested to know, you know, how my job will handle it when everyone starts coming back to work. You know, whether that will become an option, because it's certainly feels great to roll out of bed, drink some coffee and immediately start going to work rather than having to wake up an hour and a half before yeah. I have to mm -hmm. be to work, get everyone ready. And everyone has to leave roughly the same time, you know, being on that schedule, you know, it's, it's more relaxed, less stress involved. Although my commute's not much. It's like, you know, I'm driving from Mebbin to Burlington. That's what, 10 10 miles, something like that. It's about 25 minute drive total. Yeah. So it's not I'm bad. fortunate that I'm that close. Well, when I, yeah. when I had a job, uh, so, and uh, yeah. I know that you snapper, when you have to go, you're fairly close to your office. Yeah. I'm, even though I live uh, five, 10 minutes away from my office, um, I eventually, I worked from home for, for, wow, a couple of years. And I was like, you know what, this is, 
I, I can hop in the car and I could be in the office and uh, advance my career a lot easier if I if, uh, instead of just being a, a code monkey working remotely. I enjoy doing that, but I'm reaching an age where I kind of need to move to another level. You know, uh, can't be a code monkey into my 60s. Uh, my brain's just not going to be jelly enough to compete with these kids. Oh, and, I think it's uh, more so, than enough jelly right now. I know. I, know. I, I am glad that my, my wife doesn't have to commute because she has to drive to Raleigh three days a week. Oh, wow. Uh, and I hate that she has to drive that because that, that, man, people are brain dead when they're driving uh, between Durham and Raleigh. I mean, they're all of them are on their phone. They're not paying attention. There's accidents every day. It's ridiculous. So um, I'm glad that she doesn't have to. Like I said, me, it's not that big of a deal. But I'm glad. I, I feel much glad or much. I feel like she's a lot safer. <laughs> yeah, because it makes me nervous. So it it is nice that we now have these options. Uh, we, you know, as you mentioned, Snapper, the internet makes it possible for us to do an awful lot. But it wasn't always that way. And um, you know, long ago, the beginnings, the the just the beginnings of computer networks could not. So we couldn't have done this in the '80s. Certainly not. Uh, probably not in the '90s. And even in the early 2000s, uh, as broadband was getting kicked off, it's still. I remember the first uh, VoIPs, which this of course takes us into our next topic, which is about early online uh, computer communities. Um, whether we're talking. Uh, Quantum Link, whether we're talking America Online. I don't know, because, uh, you know, Rush, you and I, uh, the Internet really came like the year after we graduated. Not the Internet, but what those early online communities. So I don't even know what you might have gotten involved in. I mean, Snapper and I did a lot of stuff. So what were you used to doing? I got on the Internet for the first time, I think, in 1994. And oh, wow. I got my first computer well i mean i had had a computer at my parents house but it was like an old ibm compatible oh yeah and then uh, would have been standalone yeah right and but i'd never had a computer that i could get online with until like about 95 not long after windows 95 came out yes and uh (laughs) let's see i you know i think i had aol for a short while because there wasn't a whole lot of options there was ms online MSN online or what it was. I tried that, but I couldn't ever figure out how to work it. So I ended I up getting AOL. remember that. Oh, yeah, MSN. Yep. And they had, I think it was CompuServe too, but I ended yep. up going with AOL because it was the most popular. But there was, there was a local newspaper that came out. They had it in CompUSA store. I think it was like Computer News or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was like a new, like a small newspaper. And they had a listing of BBSs. Oh, yeah. And I got that issue when I got my computer, right after I got my computer. And then after that, they never published that again. I thought it was like a regular <laughs> thing. So it was like I caught the very tail end. And, of course, BBSs was where... It, I, you know, I would dial into a few using Telex. Yep. And uh, I downloaded my first porn that way. <laughs> of course. Uh, it, w- it, it, was a, it was a small picture, and it took about an hour and a half to download on my 28.8 modem. And, uh, but that was really it. I mean, I think after AOL, I ended up going with a, a local internet provider called Spiderbyte. I was on that for a little bit, and then I ended up switching to, when broadband came out, I dropped that and and went to Time Warner. I've been using that pretty much ever since. So I don't have nearly as much experience as as you guys, because... Well, we... we That was kind of your jam for a while. We kind of ended up in it kind of quite by accident. I mean, obviously, Snapper, you're the ingress point for me. Um, As I was leaving our hometown... Where you, where Russ and I lived, uh, we were not doing anything online. We were playing all games offline. But I moved to Charlotte, and you, Snapper, introduced me to this thing called a modem. And I think we must have cajoled our mother into getting one of those things—a three hundred baud modem—and we joined QLink. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I had had a modem before, oh, did a you? 300 baud. We upgraded to 1200 baud um, because uh, I remember I got my first modem bef- uh, before we moved uh, to Charlotte. Okay. And uh, and I remember at that time, yeah, it was not there were nothing but BBSs. There were official BBSs with uh, you know universities. And and other stuff like that. Of course, uh, for you uh, young youngs who are listening, a BBS was a bulletin board system, and okay. you, di- you, okay. you dialed into it, and uh, it was text only. You would get a you, you would get a, a menu, and that that was it. You pressed the numbers, and you could read messages. There were early forms of uh, email. You could play like FidoNet. You could play you know? Empire. Yeah, you can play text games, adventure-like games. Uh, they called MUDs, M-U-Ds. Mm-hmm. Uh, multi-user dungeons. Um, the, yeah, those were the the ones that really were D and D games. Right, oh, okay. the uh, Dungeons of Moriah, and the um, the they were great. They were fun. They were the only game in town, really. And then something like Quantum Link came out and added a. Uh, um, Really kind of an interface, yeah, and it's because it was a Commodore sixty four, which had a lot of graphics built into it, which made it easy for them to do that. Yeah, and that was when we started. Um, one, it was expensive; it was like five dollars an hour, and uh, Good also, Lord. yeah, oh, yeah, and that was in the late eighties. And boy, yeah. we we racked up like three hundred dollars one month on my mother's credit card, and she hit the roof. But we, yeah, I mean, a lot of fun. It, it, because I mean, it, it had message boards, it had games, it had uh, you know, name that tune and other very interactive games. Mostly chat. It, We've mostly chatted. Let's be honest. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot of chat. But it had file downloads and picture downloads and uh, always. Yeah, someone uh, would yes, try. Yes, yes it, there was cyber sex. Someone would try to sneak in a digitized penthouse or Playboy photo. And, you know, this was terrible uh, graphics at the time. So No, great uh, graphics it, at the time, terrible graphics now, yeah. Correct. And, you know, we're like, wow, boobies. So, you know, that was it. And then, of course, there was an explosion. You had GE yep. online. Genie, yeah. General Electric. You had CompuServe. Um, oh, who were some of the other competitors to... Quantum Link. Uh, those, those were really it outside of that. Earthlink. Earthlink uh, had their own. They were one of the first Internet providers where they tried to wrap sort of a portal around it and create um, like MindSpring did. They wanted that, like a, a marketing, a brand name. Uh, mm. They really wanted you to think of them as I'm having Earthlink service. But in the end, because they were all just internet connections and browsers, in the end, it was hard for them to differentiate. And that's why they all ended up going away and getting bought up by the big guys. And, you know, Time Warner was one of the ones that really consolidated the Southeast. Prodigy was the other one. Prodigy, yes. Thank you. Yes. Gosh. Sprint. <laughs> was, that, was that a Sprint product? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I want to say it was... Um, you know, the internets. Yeah, they had a nice graphical front end. I, we were members of all of them until we got to college. And when we got to college, that's when oh, they just blew our minds. Uh, we could go into the computer lab and take up like four machines with floppy disks and download for hours on those university connections. And they're the ones that gave us our first internet from home connection. Oh, Good stuff. And of Pro- course, um, go ahead. I said Prodigy no, no. Was, was operating until 2001. Yeah. Now, AOL Prodigy. is what Quantum Link became. Quantum Link's company uh, also came out with a version for Macintosh and Windows PC of, of a similar system. And they had a lot of the same rooms and whatnot. But um, that's, of course, the one that survived. I remember in the early days when AOL would charge you to connect you to the Internet. They'd charge you a quarter for every email that came in from the Internet from their outside system. Ugh. Right. Uh, AOL was, it was you know, like a bulletin board system. It was a walled garden, but AOL did the agreements with uh, media companies. 
Time Warner and stuff. So you would dial into AOL. You had that interface that they created, and you know it would download news articles and, and stuff like that. Content because content was king. Yes. And but it was not the internet, and the nerds like us would be like <laughs> AOL because I remember when AOL finally connected to the internet and just unleashed their users onto the internet. It, it was basically like a whole bunch of people like our mom connecting, going, what's this internet thing? Can I connect my microwave to it? You know, and, uh, and you know, no one gave a shit other than us nerds, but here comes AOL just, just flooding uh, the internet with their dumbness. But, you know, AOL was pretty much a harbinger of what, was to come, which was uh, content portals. And uh, once internet became ubiquitous in broadband, we did have these content war portals like Excite and uh, AltaVista, Yahoo. Yahoo. Yep. AltaVista was my uh, was my search engine of choice for many years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Exactly. Good and they us. and they gave you an email address, and it was a full on thing. It was it was awesome. Yahoo, I think, won that portal war. Uh, Microsoft did it with MSN, mainly because they made it the homepage of every browser they installed. And now we stand on the shoulders of giants. Young people, well, which goes back to Russ's original point, which is I don't understand why, with the internet, why anyone could ever say I don't know. So right. it's just a search away. If only there was a device that we could carry around with us that would answer yeah, all of the, our questions. The internet and smartphone smartphones have uh, made bar bets extinct. Oh, oh wow, yes, that's right. true. That's true. Ah, I remember the last one I lost. 50 bucks I refused to pay up. I wonder if that guy's still mad. And now for a perfectly reasonable discussion. So tell us a little bit about this last one, Snapper. This was your deep topic idea. Well, a lot of people got their first introduction to this concept with the... uh, primaries with uh, the this current election with Andrew Yang, the Yang gang, and that is the idea of a universal basic income. I uh, heard of it myself just through my various political leanings and stuff, uh, and I'll admit, I always considered it to be the, the fringiest of the lefty of the left. When I saw Andrew Yang make that part of his uh, platform, a thousand dollars, call them freedom bucks. And, uh, and I groaned. I thought it was stupid. Uh, I don't like when people brand things like in, in political circles, but uh, he branded it. And I thought, wow, it sounds like he's just kind of bribing people. Vote for me and I'll give you money. And it does kind of sound like that until I started looking at what is a universal basic income. And I went through several stages. First, I looked at it. Okay, I understand it. Then I read up on its history. And then I came to understand what it can accomplish. And so then I went from actually not supporting it at all to being um, a, a proponent of it completely. And I firmly believe that that's really the only solution for our society in the future is to move toward universal basic income. And uh, this is what I found. Universal basic income says the government will pay you, let's just say $1,000 a month, regardless of who you are. As long as you are a citizen, you qualify for $1,000 a month. Uh, once you become 18, um, <coughs> And you can do what you want. There's no means testing, meaning everyone gets the same amount, and uh, you get you just get the money. Now, uh, what does that mean? What are the results of that? Well, 
uh, what it means is a lot of uh, social safety net programs besides Social Security and Medicare kind of go away because what universal basic income does is it allows people to spend that money on rent, on food, on this and that, things like this. And uh, so, therefore, it's the idea that instead of spending millions upon millions upon millions and billions of dollars on programs, social programs, homelessness, and food programs and things like this, it's actually cheaper and more effective to just give people the money. And then... What, of course, happens when you explain universal income to everyone is you get your political ideologies immediately start clashing. But the reality is, is that there is a lot of writing about this from in the, the past decades, even to the point where um, we were this close under the Nixon administration, he was one of the biggest proponents of the universal basic income. Up until then, several countries had done pilot programs around around their country and around the world. There were towns where they tried this, and they would, you know, take a like small group of people. Yeah, they uh, it, there's a there's a page of the, that I found of a list of all the the towns throughout the years that have tried it and the pilot programs that were uh, in the 60s and the 70s. And uh, they fa- what they found in a- almost every instance around the world and in, and in North America and Canada and the United States was um, the uh, conventional wisdom is you give people free money, they won't want to work. And they'll just either be lazy or they just won't have an incentive to get a job. What they found in every circumstance was the complete opposite, which was everyone took that money, they applied it to their household, whether it be in food, whether it be in child care, and whether it be in rent, which then allowed them to do things like, well, my kid is taken care of so I can work and I can work a normal job and then be home for them at night and therefore not stressed. So every, uh, we're talking mental health got better. People, Other people would take that money, put it toward education and better themselves. Uh, so they would educate themselves, get a degree, which of course led to a better job and of course more money. A lot of people would take that and maybe better themselves creatively. They're like, well, I took some time off and I went back to college and I became an artist or I did this and I did that. Now I'm a happier, better person, but almost no one, uh, quit their job just lazed around and like, I got my free money. And because the the fact of the matter is a thousand dollars a month barely does that for you. Um, It helps when you are struggling. It helps take, you know, take the burden off, but it didn't cause people to just uh, sit back and do crack and and stuff like that. In In fact, in almost every case, People who were homeless, in uh, a year later, they had their own home. They were uh, in, they were working because they were now able to take that money, get a place uh, that they can live in, clean up, have a permanent residence. Because in in our country, uh, once you get into poverty your solution is money because if you, you don't have an address, people people won't interview you, won't hire you. Uh, if you don't have access to uh, a shower, uh, a way to, to make yourself presentable or anything like that, if you have no access to the basics of hygiene and health, you can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. They're just... 
there are a lot of lot of instances. So this money found uh, people um, homeless and or you know unemployed. Immediately they were able to uh, pull themselves out of that hole. Consequently, so the idea becomes we save far more money because we don't have to do things like uh, pay slumlords to run, you know, projects for people like Calibra Green in in Chicago. Uh, We don't have to constantly pay soup kitchens and shelters. You mean we as a government, um, other governments? As as an effect of social policy, we do not have to spend as much money now on these programs, which do nothing but just help a few people at a time because of the sheer amount of money it takes to support that kind of infrastructure. Uh, It's cheaper and more effective if you just give the money to them. Nixon was the biggest proponent of this until one of his uh, uh, administration guys uh, hated it because he was an an Ayn Rand uh, person. And he gave a study to Nixon and uh, it, it, uh, it, it slowly changed his mind and uh, he dropped it. But up until that point, Nixon was, uh, had drafted the legislation, had gotten uh, uh, Republicans on board to vote for it. And they, had, they, they were ready to just just give money to every American. And uh, that was the thing that might have been. And I, actually, I wonder if Nixon had done that, if uh, the whole Watergate thing would have uh, <laughs> might have, blown would have happened. Well, I want to give Russ a chance to to jump in and, and if you have any initial comments. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I, I had I don't know if I had heard about it before. Um, Andrew Yang brought it up because I followed him a little bit during the during the campaign it seems like a good idea and i and i realize we need to come up with some sort of solution for automation and the the loss of jobs that'll come with that i'm not so sure it would work on a large scale uh because it once again the law of unintended consequences i think that you're going to have well, just like uh, Jeff, you and I talked. Maybe we t- did. We talk about this. Where no, I think I was talking. About, I was talking to somebody about this. Where college started getting insanely expensive, starting around the late seventies, when the government got involved and started giving out guaranteed student loans. And they've the 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 cost of college has increased exponentially more than anything else including healthcare. Healthcare is way up there but college price of college is is insane. I've been saying this for years. There it's going to get to the point where the only way that you can go to college or afford to is if you're going into a field where there is a return on investment either you're going to get a, a law degree, a doctor degree, an engineering degree or a business degree and everyone else going to college are a bunch of suckers. Uh, because it is way too expensive, and you will eventually get yourself. If you, if you go to like a top tier school and and get spend two hundred thousand dollars on an English degree, you're never going to pay that back. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, and you an English could, degree, but you will never. You shouldn't be two hundred thousand for God's right, sake. Right, right. But if you go to if you go to Harvard, you can get an English degree. It'll cost you a lot of money. Uh, you could pay it off, but you can forget about ever buying a house. Right. Right. Um, so w- that being said, what my concern is, oh, a thousand dollars for everyone. Yeah, it's offset by the fact that you're not paying all these other, you know, uh, welfare programs. The problem is everyone who has something to sell you now knows that everyone has a thousand dollars extra to burn. Yeah, that's a and it point. will it will cause inflation across the board. And And I looked at probably the same article you did. Because I needed to brush up on it, and none of them were uh, tests where they gave everyone money. They would they would choose at random 
drawing of like, you know, 200 people in some studies to 23,000 in some other studies. And, uh, it, you know, they were all, they ran them for a while, but I think a lot of them, I think the one in Finland and the one in Ontario, they realized, well, it, it wasn't going to work, at least the way it was implemented. You're also going to have uh, cottage industries of uh, basically payday lenders that are going to start to put that are going to that are start to prey on the people in lower income brackets. Um, I there were some other points I was going to make. I'm going to have to think about it. But uh, oh, the other thing is, it starts at a thousand dollars. It will go up exponentially. They will, they will, they will, uh, the government will get involved to say, well, we need to increase it to offset the pricing and stuff like that. And then we're just, you know, we're trying to keep up with inflation. And so that's my concern about that for sure. Well, and, well and those, my, my, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, well, and I did want to at least just comment, if only to agree uh, in basic principle, I was thinking the exact same thing, is that once everybody has an extra $1,000, then an iPhone's going to suddenly cost $1,000 more, because you're right. And, and I agree with your uh, analogy to the school loans, because if you think about it, because suddenly there are guaranteed student loans, then there are businesses who are like, well, then I can lend you that money because that's how I make my money is by lending money. And then colleges are like, well, there's a ton of money out there now and we don't want to miss out on this money. We can get all sort, we can get this money. It doesn't mean anything to the students. They're just going to, it's a guaranteed loan. So it creates a snake that eats its own tail for lack of a better uh, metaphor is that the system now feeds upon itself and it needs those loans. And so if, uh, it's like the mortgage deduction. We love it as consumers, but it costs the government billions and billions of tax dollars every single year. So the real the, the concern is, will they jack prices up, or is this only good on basics? So I agree with you, Snapper. You're right. Nobody's getting rich off of $1,000, and you can't live in most cities. You certainly can't live that way on $1,000 a month, maybe in a rural area. So let's just say they adjust it for where you live. Um Yes, and even if you adjust for um, the cost of living over time, it will still it will it will still create a situation where people will attempt to bilk individuals out of it. But the you know, supposedly the benefit is they're not bilking the government; they're bilking individuals. So you could have sort of a caveat emptor attitude toward it. But I agree with you, Russ. There's no way prices are not going to suddenly jump ten to twenty percent. Because now people can afford it, and people are like, "Ah, Cavalier! That's not my thousand dollars. That's the thousand dollars the government gives me." Because UBI. Well, the, go ahead. None of this is none of this is new as far as the the criticisms and the uh, the answers that people have come forward. Which is, well, number one, you're right. People will respond in predatory manners. Payday lending already is a problem. It's a horrible problem. It's a huge problem. Uh, one of which, of course, has gotten worse under the current administration because they're big donors. Uh, previous administrations sought to, to stamp it out, and uh, predatory uh, lenders are pretty much no, not that much different from loan sharks with you know, 50, uh, 60, 75% interest sometimes. So you get caught in the cycle. You never. So... Um, as far as uh, payday lending is concerned, you don't need universal income for that to become a problem because it's already here. You address that with legislation. That's just the only way you handle it. So to me, non-issue. The issue about college, very real issue, which is, um, yes, uh, they're going to go after that money. Now, of course, my response to that is, well, on one side, that is good because if I take that money and use it to better myself, then I get a blah, 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 and then I get a blah, 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 and I, I now have a better job in a Pollyanna world. But like you said, you get an English degree with, for 200000 because now you, you can uh, make $1,000 monthly payments to uh, a college now you've got an English degree and $200,000 debt. You're back in the same thing, which is why a lot of people who are uh, pushing universal basic income are also pushing uh, college reform, uh, loan reform, 
Uh, there's a lot of problems with loan reform. Like so we, you cannot so a, refinance. There would be a systematic, uh, we would have to address a whole series of, of systems. Correct. Yes, the issue about um, inflation, uh, they talk about adopting a value-added tax system where everyone pays a consumption tax kind of thing in order to keep prices low, well, that sort of thing. There, there are, what it is is the problems are real, yeah. but only if you don't address them and do not... Uh, uh, and so what happens, in my opinion, is that universal basic income never gets attempted for ideological reasons, because there's plenty of reason why people would want to um, oppose it from just pure, whether it be just pure ideological reasons, like which is, no, you got to make people work for a living. You got to make people uh, encourage them to pull themselves up by their bootstrap. And you're like, yeah, but. What about the single mother with the three kids and the dad left them and they're in this cycle that they can't get out of? Well, that's what we got welfare programs for. Yeah, but welfare programs are terrible. Medicaid is is useless. And uh, so they're never going to get out. And plus, we have no child care system in America. You got to pay for that. So, uh so you, There's no, you would almost ideologically you're you're going against a system ideologically that can fix a lot of ills, but you don't want it because it uh, it, it violates some some principle of uh, uh, being a self-made person and and work ethic, you get yeah. work ethic that kind of thing. Well, it, there's something to be said for work ethic, but I didn't make yeah. any sort of ideology ideological argument. I, right. I will let me add one more thing to my argument. When I say you, then, I'm doing the collective I, you, right, right. royal you. Let me add to my argument, and then I will also steel man your argument a little bit, um, which you didn't touch on. So yeah, thousand dollars. That's assume that really makes an impact. Assuming that everyone's taxes don't go up as well as interest rates go up, taxes, especially if you have to deal with. Um, what they want to do is offer free college. I think that's fine, but you're going to have to like make entrance uh, m more stringent. <laughs> you can't just let everyone in now that it's free for everyone uh, because you, you, there's just not enough you know, slots for people. Um, so w if you do all that, you will have to raise taxes. So that will minimize the benefits you know you will get a thousand dollars but you're paying you know 50 percent 100 percent more in taxes which is a very distinct possibility if you're going to pay for all these things now as far as the steel man part of the argument if you use this and get rid of the means tested welfare welfare programs that i think they 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 were designed to do good uh for uh uh, lower-income people, minority uh, people in low-income situations. The problem is, is they, over time, have disincentivized people to stay in families. Whereas women who are single mothers that have, uh, that are on welfare, they get less money if they have a man in the house. So they, over a long period of time, since the 60s, you've incentivized people to not stay in, <clears throat> excuse me, to stay in families, right? So by taking away the means testing, you're actually, you've taken that away. And so you're not disincentivizing people to, to have families. Now, I'm not saying stay in families where somebody's abusive or anything like that. But when you pay people money to stay single, that I think is uh, not good for society. <laughs> I think the the more we encourage people to create families, I think the better off we are. I worry if that's an oversimplification of, yes, in situations where there are single families, there might be a higher child count, but is it chicken or the egg? Did they have more children because 
that was how they could maintain money? Or did they find themselves unable to do anything else but take more money because of the situation I'm, they were in? I'm sure it's a bit of I'm sure. I'm it's sure. Yeah, exactly. It's, but it's wait a minute. What, what program, what, what programs are you talking about that uh, basically incentivize being uh, single because uh, if you get married, you get less? Well, when you have two incomes in the household. Then you right. get you get less in the welfare benefit. Well, um, what welfare is on a state by state basis, is it not? Uh, I think probably so, and I think that is pro- a good point to make. Is that um, it depends right. upon the state. Like here in Georgia, the Medicaid system is draconian; it's in- almost yeah. impossible to get in. Whereas other states, it might be a little bit easier. Yeah. So, in a lot of instances, it really depends upon the structure. But if all of yeah. that goes away. Then you could say, well, it gets rid of it gets rid of a lot of uh, government waste and a lot of um, it's going to become simple shakedown. It's really yeah. what, like you were saying earlier. And and the 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 divorce rate in uh, uh, black communities was lower than in white communities even in prior to the civil rights movement in the '60s. Now it's what seventy percent, something like that, or more, depending on where you are. Um. Anyway, I, I I listened to uh, Thomas Sowell. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar economist. with him. Yeah, and so a lot of these arguments, uh, you know, I've, I've got from listening to him and some other people too. Well, so. it's a right. good, it's a good future topic for us to dive into is right. uh, how yeah. welfare affects society as a whole. Right, and and like I said, Steel Manning, your argument is when you take away that, then everyone's getting the same amount. You're actually encouraging people to maybe have families because double incomes from universal basic income on top of everything else is actually a benefit. So, Oh, well, that's a really good point. Um, some people would have larger families, or you could do it the opposite, which is maybe people wouldn't feel like they had to be as driven to make more money because more of their basic needs would be covered, so they would spend more time at home and you would have a more solid family unit. So it, would, it at least creates more discussion about what our priorities are, which maybe this quarantine right. has done that. That's Maybe to revisit our earlier topic, this quarantine is making us rethink families, or at least rediscover families. Mm-hmm. In an interesting, I think we're going to have another baby boom. I, I really, it, it could go that way, or, or you could end up having like a baby drop because everybody got like, I'm not touching you. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, I didn't even think about that. I always, I assumed there would be a baby boom just by the nature of being forced to stay together but but if you were afraid to have a baby in the middle of a pandemic you may you may not want to but i'll tell you what i'll bet dog and cat adoptions are way up they are oh i i've heard of some places have run out of of animals to 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 put up for adoption Uh, yeah so yeah fostering is the same way they they uh, all the animals are being fostered out and that's a good thing that's a good it is a good thing well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming together again this week. I, I had a sure, good time talking sure. about it. We look forward to next week. So I'll tell you what, on our way out, let's each one of us kind of give an update as to what we're doing and what we're into. Russ, you go. Uh, I will be working from home and <laughs> maybe try maybe try not to drink quite as much whiskey as I did last week. So, oh. mm, how, about, how about you, Snap? I just got myself a Selectrix 3 typewriter, an IBM Selectrix 3. I got it from my mother-in-law. And uh, because I I wanted to kind of return back to some nostalgia in college and earlier when we had to use typewriters. And I remember thoroughly enjoying the feel of that that IBM electric typewriter that when you press the keys and it's like pow, pow, pow. And uh, I just kind of wanted to get back to that idea of what I'm writing is emblazoned on physical paper one time only. So you got to think about it and put it down in words. And besides for revisions, all I got to do is just scan every page and turn it into a word document. That's, in today's technology, but I just kind of, you know, just for giggles, shits and giggles. So um, I've got this beast of uh, of, a, of a mechanical bull in my uh, uh, dining room, and uh, it's 
needs to be clean. Some keys are a bit gummed up, but uh, still types, still works perfectly, still hums. You turn it on, the lights dim. You know, it's uh, it's great. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Would you say that your new typewriter is the vinyl records of writing? <laughs> yes, it certainly is. I'm going hipster because I want to go back a little bit. You know, let, let's embrace some analog tech. Get us away from writing things you know, that that disappear into the ether. When you when you work on a typewriter or handwrite, you have made it. Yeah, semi-permanent, you know, but it is a physical object. It is now scarce. It is one of a kind. Love it. And uh, I dig that. We'll all type up our biggest fears and we'll all burn them symbolically and watch the smoke go away. <laughs> For me, uh, I am actually getting back into a little bit of writing. I've got to pick back up this novel about my grandfather. I've got to knock that thing out. I've got to, of course, still find a job. And uh, honestly, uh, it's been the most relaxing time in my entire life. I've been working in the garden. I'm growing potatoes this year. I'll post pictures. It's so relaxing. So everybody have a great week and we'll catch up next time. We are Generation out. You've been listening to an amateur podcast. Had it been a professional podcast, you would have been entertained, enlightened, and generally more satisfied. Tune in again next time for another exciting episode of Generation, the Generation X show. Brought to you by Twisted Little Gnome Studios. Edited by yours truly, Jeff. See you next time.